0: Do we have a smaller crowd today because you you, you knew I was preaching? (laughs) I would like to pray for me. On behalf of you, Lord, I'm so thankful for this family. Um, For those of you that don't know, I had open heart surgery February 10th. And this family took care of me and my wife. We're so thankful for them and their love. It really is, Lord, a representation of your love for us. Thank you. And um, I need your help right now. Come, Holy Spirit. I don't want your word to fall on deaf ears. I pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts to hear your word and we're going to trust that your word does not return to you empty we're going to trust that even with this unworthy vessel you could use him to teach us something and uh, I trust in you in Jesus name amen did you see that My wife giving directions as she walks away. (laughs) But I chew the gum because it keeps my mouth moist. All right. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but I um, was a strange kid growing up. Can you imagine that? mary's nodding yes why was i strange because even from a young age i loved to study the bible god's word Um, from the day i trusted jesus and when susie and i married i got a dream come true i got to take a year-long class on how to study the bible from prof howard hendrix and see you don't know how good an imitation that is because you don't know but it's a good imitation dallas theological seminary sent susie and i to australia for a summer to write a, a, a workbook for bible study methods and it's been since then A love of mine to teach Bible study methods and so I'm going to start right off sharing with you a Bible study method that you can incorporate hopefully and use at home let's see if this works yeah when I first start out a study of a book I scan read create a chart I want to get a panoramic view of the passage I want to make sure I understand the message God is trying to get across I want to make sure I understand his themes as he uses Paul as one of his prophets so I create these charts and here's what I found while doing the chart the book actually is broken down into two sections, two greater sections. The first assigns doctrine. Paul on behalf of God speaks of all of these doctrines. The first section and you can't see it but it's chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 that's Paul's salutation. But then he dives into these four sections. Section 2 the doctrine of sin. Section 3, the doctrine of sal- salvation. Section 4, the doctrine of sanctification. And then finally, the sovereignty of God. The second half of the book, beginning with Romans 12.1, is about applying doctrine. Serving others, for example. Loving them as Jesus loves us. Sympathizing with others. Submitting to God. Sending his gospel out. And then Paul ends with another salutation to send us off. Now I want you to see, it may not mean so much to you, but it's exciting for me, as nuts as it is, how I found this. It was Romans 12:1. That's my symbol for a pivot. You'll see those in my in my Bible margins. Um, a pivot. It's like a hinge that keeps two sections together. Well, here's Romans 12:1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then Paul kicks into applying the doctrine that he's been speaking about heretofore. Notice, here's what keyed me in. The therefore. Prof. Hendricks would say it this way. When you see a therefore, ask what it's there for and when i did that i found the pivot between these two sections just a thought for you oops nope let me go back to this Um, notice before the therefore that comes up in romans 12 1. um the first section is this salutation making its way through all these doctrines. And the second section is about applying the doctrines. I hope that you see that from this book because that's the big picture. And hopefully that's a Bible study method that will be a help to you. Also, note this. Paul has a routine throughout Romans. Paul communicates by Socratic method. This is another Bible study method, recognizing the law of repetition. Over and over and over again throughout this book, you see Paul asking questions. The Socratic method was named for Socrates, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher from the 4th century BC, and Paul uses it to get us thinking. It's a facilitation of discussion with questions, getting us thinking. There are 58 from Romans 1 to 12, there are 58 Socratic questions in the book of Romans. Six of them are in our passage today. Ten of the overall 58 questions are bipolar questions, that is, they're answered by yes or no. And to each one of those questions Paul will answer with, and we'll have one today, Paul answers with, meganoita. It's a heavy Greek word that forcefully means heaven forbid. That's how it's often translated. Now, if you're really cool, you would read it as, no way, Jose. And if you're really hip, it would be like, you (laughs) cray-cray. Just a thought. Now, I want to read the passage with you one more time why because i like to put emphasis on different syllables so that you understand where we're going with this passage here it is romans 3:21 to 25 but now the righteousness of god has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of god This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness, God's righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? it is excluded by what kind of law by law of works no Uh, but by the law of faith for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law or is god the god of jews only is he not the god of gentiles also yes of gentiles also Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, meganoita. You cray cray. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We uphold the law. Now, while studying this passage, I couldn't help I get nostalgic. All right. And this passage reminded me of when I came to Christ. Um, I was a mama's boy from day one. I was born on Mother's Day. I mean, the actual Mother's Day. And when I was four years old, we got our first black and white TV. And um, I was alone in a room for some reason, watching this black-and-white TV, the show called Rawhide. (laughs) That's supposed to be a whip. (laughs) That's it. Whip sound. Um, It was Clint Eastwood's Hollywood debut, and while I'm sitting there alone, he shot a man. Now, back in those days, you can imagine, that's, that's the first time I ever saw anybody get shot. And the pool of blood, you know, growing around his head on the, in the dirt. And... I thought to myself, where did the dead man go? At age four. And I remember thinking about hell. And I started to get scared. We were going to a dead church at the time. It was a dead church that we went to for six or seven years. We never heard about sin. We never heard the gospel. We never heard about heaven or the hell that we're to fear. Instead, my Sunday school teacher taught transcendental meditation. She taught to use Jesus' name as a mantra so you could have an out of body experience. Is that cool? So I remember the night that I first heard the Gospel. It was June 28, 1971. I was 11 years old. And under the old oak tree at 1896 Collingswood Road, these two guys that were doing door-to-door evangelism, Bill Bowers and John Lehman, I found out 10 years later who they were. they were talking to my parents and I walked up on the scene at just the right moment and he asked me if I was a Christian I said yes then he asked me that question about heaven where God is at the gate and you're standing there at the gate and God says why should I allow you in my heaven and my answer was Because I'm a good kid. My parents were there, and they didn't object to that, so I stuck with it. He asked me if I trusted the Bible was God's word. I had a high respect for the Bible, and so I said yes. So he showed me this verse right out of our passage. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I couldn't deny, wouldn't deny, that I was a sinner that there was sin in my life. Then he showed me this verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not that of yourselves, so no one can boast. But it's a gift of God, it should say. So that no one can boast. And I realized my need at that point. And for the first time, I heard the gospel of grace. Of Jesus work on my behalf and later on the bottom bunk after the two guys left on the bottom bunk my brother Jeff above me um, he had no idea what was going on but I prayed to receive Jesus into my heart and I can't forget that night the old oak tree is still in front of 1896 Collingswood Road and I go there often just to remember my Ebenezer And um, this is a picture of when I took my kids. I still grieve not being their daddy, raising them. And um, uh, that year, right after I trusted Christ, a a lightning bolt hit the tree and and uh, uh, split it all the way down to the ground. My daughter's pointing to the split, but it lived. And uh, so I go back there often for this reminiscing, which brings us to the subject of today, which I call revealing redemption. This section, verses 21 to 31, is about revealing redemption, and I'm going to have four points for you. First of all, God's report of our condition, verses 22 to 23. Then we'll try to understand redemption, verses 24 to 25. We'll learn there is one requirement of us, verses 25 to 30. And then we'll learn the rehearsal of faith that God calls us to in verse 31. So let's get after it. First of all, the report. The report of our sin. Verse 22. Paul, look at it. Paul refers back to Romans 1 and 2 when he says that um, how does he put it? Someone read it for me. The There is no distinction. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. This is the bad news that that Andrew spoke about last week. And he asked, what is the diagnosis? Well, the diagnosis is given in verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul will reiterate this and expand on this when we get to chapter 5 and verse 12 when he says, sin entered the world through one man. He's speaking of Adam who genetically passed on this sin to all of us. And death through sin. In this way, death came to all people, for all have sinned. That's the diagnosis. All of us have the disease. It's in our spiritual DNA. We were spiritually stillborn, dead at birth. So Paul proclaims, it as the people's preeminent problem. God is holy. People are not. And there's an eternal penalty of separation from God's love. You see, God is holy, and with our sin, we became something other than holy, something less than holy, something less than He intended us to be. And God... His Holiness can't tolerate that. We were separated from Him the moment Adam first made the choice all the way back at the beginning. Now, you might ask, do you mean any sin? Any sin would be cause of our eternal separation from the love of God? Well, yes. Do you mean just one sin john yes (laughs) it was just a bite of some fruit that started this whole thing in the first place well when you say sin john do you mean like little white liars Well, God wouldn't cut off someone forever because he was a little white liar, would he? Imagine in heaven, though. We know that God has let in some little white liars. So we ask, who are the little white liars? And the little white liars think to themselves, it's just a little white lie. And so they say, not me and it happens again sin affects heaven and the whole ball starts rolling away again it's called the fall there was a preacher that was born in 1895 his name was Donald Barnhill you're you're going to remember his name because he was not well not because of this he was the pastor of a very large church in Philadelphia And he was one of the first that that had a radio show as early as that was. Well, he preached on sin. And a little old lady came up to him afterwards. And she said, I want you to know. She talked just like that. I want you to know I have never sinned. Now, Donald Barnhouse was a bold man. So he spat in her face. And then he said, what you're thinking right now is sin. (laughs) Um, My mentor, a guy that I affectionately called Uncle Walt, Walt Hendrickson, he would say, do you think you're a sinner? Well, just think about what you think about. And he had me there. He has all of us there. These people, these illustrations, are accentuating people's preeminent problem. God is holy and just. And he loves us also. So he's also our justifier. Which brings us to the next point. I get to talk about the good news. Of the gospel. The redemption. Of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24 with me. We are justified. In other words. The justifier justifies us. By his grace. As a gift. That is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward. As a propitiation. By his blood. Now. That's a big word so we've got to define it to understand it it is God's provision for the preeminent problem of people it's most important that we understand what this means all the way back before our Bibles, the ancient people developed these idols gods if you will for example Baal and Molech, they required of you and I child sacrifice. The sacrifice of your first son. They were burned alive. Why? <laughs> because uh, the pagans believed that the gods weren't happy with us. I mean, how do you explain earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and volcanoes and Warring nations against us. The pagans believed that they needed to deflect the wrath of the gods, so they made offerings or propitiations to appease the angry deities. Astrith was another example of a god. Um, Astrith required you to have sex with. The temple prostitutes for the fertility of our culture can you imagine yes the infinitely pure and perfect creator God is holy and God's propitiation as expressed in the Bible is very different he hates our sin it makes us his enemy So, he's justified to be full of wrath toward us. But God is also pure and perfect love. So, he's always intended, from the start, to be our just justifier. Biblical propitiation is how God shows us mercy and grace justly according to God's word propitiation is not a thing we give God to get right with him no I have to say meganoita God provides propitiation for us through Jesus so that we can be justly and mercifully forgiven and accepted back into relationship with God as he intended for us in the first place it is his loving expense not ours, that is the propitiation, the gift of His Son, Jesus. And a verse like this clarifies it. By Paul, also written to the Corinthians, God made Him who had no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is where... (laughs) our one and only requirement is going to come in. To understand it, look at what the Apostle John said. This is chapter 1 and verse 12. He said, All who receive Him, Jesus Christ, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Notice the words, receive and believe. In other words, there is a requirement of us. It's called faith. Let's say this clicker, or whatever it's called, this clicker, I can certify that it's, um, what is it, 24 karat gold? Is that the pure thing? This is it, right here. And I want to give it to Wes, as a gift. Are you happy, Wes? Yeah. Really? Yeah. But is it yours? If you give it to me? If I give it to him. If you won't believe and receive this, if you don't take this gift, it's not yours. Our Bible says the gospel gift is ours by faith. Let me show you this. Oh boy, this may be dangerous. (laughs) Do I, am I demonstrating to you that I trust that this chair will hold me up? No, not really. Am I demonstrating that this chair will hold me up? No, not really. Am I demonstrating that this chair will hold me up? No, this isn't a wholehearted belief. (laughs) It worked. Am I demonstrating that this chair will hold me up? Yes. Yes, that's a wholehearted belief, right? It's not just receiving, but it's a wholehearted belief. That's the kind of faith the Bible is talking about. We receive by belief Jesus as the propitiation. Salvation is the work of Messiah, and we must have faith that receives Him by a belief that is all in. Later in Romans 14.23, Paul says, anything that does not come from faith is... Andrew shared this verse with us last week, is, is sin. And Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us the definition of what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. And Galatians 5.6 drives it home. It says, write these verses down. Romans 14.23, Hebrews 11.1, 1, and Galatians 5.6. It says, and it's an easy memory verse the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love and the new testament talks about love it's always talking about the new command that jesus gave us in the upper room when he said love others as i have loved you that's the only thing that counts faith expressing itself through that kind of love in other words verse 25 look at it christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood is a gift to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness at the present time to show god's righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus since first look at skip ahead to verse 30 since god is one he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one, who will justify circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. At one point, uh, Jesus, the large crowd following him, they wanted to know what work they could do to get to heaven. And Jesus says this, John six twenty nine, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You hear it? It's the only way out. Propitiation. Now, the final point of this message. Um, Paul, by Socratic method, in verse 31, he asks, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And he responds, come on. I mean, it's a bold no. No! It's, uh, yeah, you cray-cray. What does we uphold the law mean? Paul, having assigned the doctrine of our salvation, by the way, the theologians call that soteriology, it's, it's my sophisticated voice. Soteriology, the uh, study of the doctrine of salvation. Um, Paul assigns that doctrine of salvation and then quickly makes a statement about applying the doctrine here. When you see, receive Jesus' forgiveness because you believed in his death and resurrection as your propitiation, He set us apart from life as sinners and God made us sons and daughters. We glorify God by application of our faith. And so point four, this rehearsal of our faith. We read it in verse 31. Do we then, Paul says, overthrow the law by this faith? By no means on the contrary we uphold the law how do we uphold the law we're we're sinners still i mean we've become saints we've been made saints but romans chapter 7 we still sin the things i don't want to do i do the things i want to do i don't do actually no you're not sinners anymore you may sin, but you're saints. Jesus' propitiation justifies us. Paul later in Romans 8.1 will say, There is that; therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you received him by believing in his gospel, Jesus put his spirit in us to produce his fruit through our lives. We live motivated by a new way of thinking now. Romans 12.1 is followed by Romans 12.2, which says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This new mind trusts God. Romans 3.4, Let God be true and every man a liar can't trust anybody for the truth of life. You can't even trust yourself. But you can trust Him. So don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. As born again children of God, His Spirit empowers us to uphold the law. This means we must be transformed in our minds to rehearse our faith in Jesus gospel good news now what do I mean by rehearse your faith that's why I want you to know so corny the Heinz principle of faith you ready this is a YouTube video of Carly Simon back in 1977 they used one of her songs anticipation for a uh, a ketchup commercial the heinz ketchup commercial and this is how it goes Yeah. yeah you love the 70s because did you notice she corrects him she, for his manners <laughs> and then he corrects him because he lied well i don't know if you hear it in this heinz ketchup commercial but for now jesus calls us to live by faith he promises he's begun the work by justifying us he promises He's sanctifying us along the way, continuing it until we see Him. He promises He's preparing us for the day when He takes us home and glorifies us with Him eternally. Until that day, we live by the Heinz principle. <laughs> Faith waits for time to catch up with the promises of god particularly about tomorrow faith waits for time to catch up now review of what we've said the report of sin is this we have a preeminent problem we people but god has loved us and necessitated a redemption of our sins by jesus a a propitiation by jesus gospel which has a requirement of faith trusting the work that justifies us removing our condemnation that would otherwise forever cut us off from the father's love so now while living in this world we are called to rehearse our faith in the gospel per the bible promises that god's gospel will be finished as we practice God's presence in our life by faith, by the Heinz principle. if you, I know it's corny, but at least it'll stick in your brains. As we wait for time to catch up with the reality of God's promises of our heavenly home. Thank you. Let me uh, pray for us. Lord, I... Um, I'm so thankful that you did what you did. Um, You always had it in mind, all the way from Genesis 3.15. You always had it in mind. The prophecies of the Old Testament are filled with hundreds of prophecies telling exactly how you would do it. We're amazed by that. And you did it. You did it. You paid for our sins you took our place god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of god friend perhaps i i speaking to any size crowd i can't assume that all of you have believed and received this gift well now's the time Don't put it off it's a prayer from your heart that goes something like this. Lord God, I believe that your Son, Lord Jesus, is God. came in the flesh to join us on this earth. To become a part of the human race. To die for us with our blood. Only a holy blood running through his veins. To die for us and I believe that you forgave me through that cross and i believe that you proved that you could do it by raising yourself from the dead three days later i believe in you and i receive whatever it means to receive or to accept you into my life come lord jesus make me a new man a new woman And Lord, the rest of us are just praising you for what you've done for us, that you've made us saints, not sinners anymore, saints that sin, but you're sanctifying us, preparing us for the day when we'll no longer sin in glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.